Welcome to Disruption Blueprint with Shannon Spotswood from RFG Advisory. In this podcast, we help advisors grow their net worth, build their businesses, and maximize their independence. We've built an award-winning platform with innovative technology, comprehensive service, and a team of individuals who are experts in their field to serve advisors. Join us for this journey where we explore everything that has to do with running an independent advisor practice as we bring together successful advisors, industry experts, and innovative minds who are on the bleeding edge to challenge the status quo, foster new ideas, and create a path for advisors to unleash their growth potential. Now, on to the show. Welcome to Disruption Blueprint. We are joined today by none other than Eric Clark. I am so excited founder, CEO of Orion. This is a tremendous honor and um, thank you so much for being here. Well, thank you, Shannon. It's an honor to spend some time with you today. You know, look, it's been our honor to be partnered with you and your firm over the years. And I couldn't be more excited to have this opportunity to spend some time with you. So looking forward to this. I, you know, I have to admit, I was getting a little nostalgic as I was prepping for this call and just reminiscing, you know, you're incredibly gracious to carve out some time as there's been so much going on with Orion as as you prepare to hand over the reins. Well, you know what, we've had a great relationship over the years. I can remember going out to the Fuse conferences, our our hackathons, really in, in getting great ideas from you and from our other judges, if if you will, that were stepping in and providing that perspective of the advisor and what things you all needed to help you grow your business. And so we, we can't thank you enough for your feedback that you've given to us because without your feedback, we wouldn't be where we are today. I'm so glad you brought up Fuse because, uh, you know, my background prior to joining RFG was on, you know, the institutional side of the investment management industry as a hedge fund manager and as an investment banker. And I remember so vividly that first Park City, you know, Fuse hackathon. And I thought to myself, this is the antithesis of hedge funds and of investment banks that is just cutthroat and ruthless. And here we all were. It was like, MTV meets technology, cool factor, and tons of collaboration. And it was such a stark contrast to what I think everyone perceives Wall Street to be. Well, I I agree with that. Having never experienced the other side of Wall Street, I would say that all of the businesses, the tech companies in our space have a relentless focus on helping these advisors be successful, helping support their independence. And that has really driven a lot of collaboration over the years across different technology vendors. While we were all creating best-in-class point solutions, we recognized that what we were doing wasn't everything that the advisor needed, everything that really matched up well with the independence mindset that our advisors had that we were serving. So we had to figure out ways to share data and to make sure that you know we could drive operational efficiencies for firms. So it was an exciting time. And uh, I think some of the funnest days that we had at Orion were getting together with our integration partners and building on those capabilities and really coming up with some unique ideas and some some things that propelled our business opportunities forward. 
I mean, you have had such an outsized impact on on the industry. You know, you've led Orion for 24 years. It's hard to believe because we're only 30, you know, yeah. what, 35, 40 yeah, years old. Exactly. Started the business in grade school. <laughs> yep. So 24 years, 3.6 trillion. That's T trillion dollars in AUA. You're serving 2,400 RIAs. We're obviously hugely honored and excited to be one of your partners. You've made multiple acquisitions. You're an industry keynote speaker. You're a tech visionary. You've been willing to like kind of do these cool events and and think outside the box. And one of the as I was preparing for this interview, I did a lot of research on you, which was a lot of fun. And I came across this oh quote and it said, um, you've been described as, and I quote, a quiet leader with the tenacity of a pit bull going after a pork chop. Does it ring true? Well, I, I would say this, we, we do have a relentless focus on the advisors that we serve. I believe that at Orion, we serve the very best advisors in our country. So for us, being able to power their needs with technology, you know, being able to help them execute processes is something that that really drives us and, and gets us excited to come to work every single day. But we, we really focus on two things here at Orion that we think help our advisors. One is that we want to create and drive operational efficiencies for our advisors. And two, we want to help them create and extend a great client experience. And so, you know, for us, I guess for me, I would say since, you know, founding the business in, in 1999, it's, it's been the opportunity of a lifetime. You know, today we have some 1,500 team members. So I certainly take very little credit of our success over the years. You know, the, the team members that we have at Orion and the advisors that we serve, getting their feedback, that's really been, you know, the key to our success. And the way that I, I kind of have viewed my role over the years is that with those 1,500 team members, my job is to help them be successful, help give them the resources and the tools that they need to be successful in serving our advisors. And, and you know, ultimately, I think the, the best measure of our success is our ability to implement and execute the great ideas that our advisors give us. So, you know, clearly we can't just take those ideas. We have to execute on them. And so we, we are relentless in our focus. I'm not sure if as much as a pit bull going after a pork chop, but we are very passionate here at Orion about helping our advisors win. One of um, we've got all this custom art on our walls and with our partnership with Long Ridge, we put a new piece of art on the wall that kind of celebrate and commemorate that day. And it, it basically reads, start small, dream big, scale fast. And when you're leading a team of you know, 30, 40, 50 people and you know everyone's name, it's hard work. Like it's it, it yeah. takes a tremendous amount of intentionality to lead a high performing team. But certainly as you're scaling fast and you're going from 30, 40, 50 people to 1,500 people, your leadership style inevitably evolves. So talk to us about how your leadership style evolved and what are your, you know, I always like to put it in three and fives. What are your three takeaways 
for leaders who are looking to scale, even if it's, you know, an advisor that is a team of five looking to go to a team of 10, not necessarily, you know, just a fintech company going from 30 to 1500. So how did your leadership style evolve? Well, as an entrepreneur, you you kind of start, you know, small, like you'd mentioned, and and a lot of the ideas of things that you're trying to to create the business that you're trying to build, you know, really come from your your business plan, basically what you're trying to execute and bring to market. And then that that has to shift because you, you as you take things to market, you have to quickly listen for feedback and take that feedback. And what I view is, is you, you have to take that and you have to correct course, meaning what you thought you were going to do uh, the way that you are going to deliver it, the price point that you're offering your services at, you know, you have to be willing to take feedback and make adjustments. And if you can make adjustments quicker than the competition, you know, then odds are you're, you're going to set yourself up for success. But you, you have to transition from this role of creation to receiving a lot of feedback and really then being able to pivot, you know, quickly. And then as the organization has grown, the the one thing that I learned quickly, and I can remember when our board of directors changed from being, you know, predominantly family to being comprised of outside shareholders, it was super important to me that we created an environment of trust because trust really acts as a catalyst for speed of execution speed to make decisions, speed to implement those decisions. And so for an organization to scale, you you cannot underestimate uh, the importance of trust and the speed that that creates for your organization. And then, you know, lastly, I guess the, the thing that I would I would focus on, the third thing would be you need to not only share your success, but you need to share the leadership and accountability. So that when you have this trusted team of leaders, also share the leadership with them, let them take things and run with it. They're going to fail, back them up, support them, even in their mistakes, you know, help them correct course and move forward. Because without being able to share that leadership, you, you effectively, you, you can't lead 1500 people. It's, it's hard to, to be able to know everyone on an individual basis as your company continues to grow. And, and, and those, those things, I think Shannon have helped us scale over the years. I want to dig in a little bit more because it's such an interesting topic and I've had the privilege of visiting your headquarters. So I've seen some of this live, but what are some of the things that you, you did intentionally around building that trust in order to create that speed and execution? Well, you know, trust is, is ultimately built on relationships, right? So you, you have to get to know and understand people. You have to be willing to invest in them. You have to be willing to invest in those relationships. And you have to go through some type of, you go through when, you're, when your teams change, you go through the storming to, to you know, the, all of the, the different group dynamics, the evolution of those group dynamics, if you will. But you have to be working with people that you can trust at the end of the day. And I think for me personally, that has been the most important characteristic of 
the members of my executive team, each of them I do implicitly trust in, in a variety of different ways. I trust them to give me feedback. I trust them to disagree. I trust them to speak up if we're in a meeting and, and we're going down a path that they question. And you have to be willing to have those, those honest conversations, if you will, with those other members of your executive team to build that trust. Because if, if you don't have that open dialogue and you, you end up with a lot of group thinking and then, and then you're, you end up in this pattern thinking that really doesn't allow you to disrupt the status quo. It's funny. It's like, I read this interesting quote this morning and it went something like, if you're not having difficult conversations, you're going to have difficult relationships. And yes. I thought, oh my gosh, that is such a key part of that, what you're talking about. You know, there's stormy seas that come up when you're scaling fast and you're yeah. helping, you know, you're moving people into different roles and you're helping, you know, to to push and provide opportunity to move in different directions. But it's not a straight linear line and it involves some radical candor and some really hard emotional conversations. Yeah. And and you know what? I think that if we can build diverse teams, we're more likely to have those yep. types of conversations. You know, I have kept people on my executive team that, you know, 90% of the time, you know, the way that they're thinking about something is totally different than the way that I would think about it or the way that I would approach it. And I actually love having them around just because of their perspective being different than mine. And if we want to build a business that's not just successful today, but it's successful in the future, then we have to be willing to disrupt the status quo. We have to disrupt the traditional ways of thinking. For us as a technology business, it's incredibly important for us to be innovative. Well, we can't innovate if we continue to do what's expected or the process things the way that they always have been done. We constantly have to be willing to disrupt and challenge that status quo. Okay. So here's a hard one or maybe an easy one. Hire slow, fire fast. Do you, do you agree? Well, I'll tell you, I'm a believer that everyone has strengths, right? So for us, it's a matter of recognizing what those natural strengths are and then getting people in the right seat on the bus, you know, to leverage a good to great uh, mindset, but that has been really, really important. I meet with all of our new hires every month. And when I sit down with them and meet with them, I always tell them, look, you know what? The job that we hired you for is likely not the best role that's going to help us maximize your strengths. The things that you're naturally great at and the things that you love to do, that's the type of role that we want to get you in. But initially, we're going to start in this role that we've hired you for. But as opportunities are created and as job postings become available, please look at those, constantly look at those because we wanna help get you in the right spot to maximize those things that you're naturally great at and things that you naturally love to do. For us, we wanna hire people that will help fill gaps that we have in the organization but then beyond that, we want to develop not only that person as a leader and as a contributor to the business, but we also want to be flexible in getting them to the right role that will allow us to maximize strengths. We, to do this, we use strengths finders 
you know, is a, is a Gallup sponsored series of questions that, you know, Don Clifton created. That has been incredibly valuable to our organization over the years, as opposed to asking people to correct things that they're, that are weaknesses for them. We want to help people do more of what they're great at. I think it's one of the most important lessons for leaders and for advisors who are looking to build their teams to learn. Like you want everyone on your team to be living in that zone of genius. Like this notion of focus on correcting your weaknesses is, I just think it's such an outdated way to manage a high performing team. It's like, no, no, we want to like celebrate and amplify all, as you said, all of your natural strengths and get you to a place where you're walking in every day, fired up about the mission, vision, value that we're all trying to execute towards. 100%. I love that. Zone of genius. Yep. Zone of genius. Why do you think advisors struggle with that? You've got a unique lens with you know working with 2,400 RIAs and talent is, you know, it actually in the most recent Schwab survey, it has always been growth as the number one pain point for advisors. And in in the most recent survey, it was talent. Why do you think advisors struggle with that? As an entrepreneur, I can tell you that it, it was a struggle for me initially to scale because I wanted to do things. I wanted to be involved because everything had to, in essence, be uh, done the way that I thought would be best. And I think entrepreneurs, you know, and independent advisors are definitely entrepreneurial. A lot of times we like to have our hands in everything and it takes a little bit of time uh, for us to be, and a lot of trust for us to be willing to delegate out a responsibility. The way that, that I was able to overcome that is that, and for me, the, the type of leader that I am is that I, I like to, if people encounter a problem, I, I want to be the first one to roll up my sleeves, work side by side with them until the issue is resolved. No matter how late it is, no matter how inconvenient it is, or you know what the, the uh, holiday might be, I want to be able to you know be the type of leader that will jump in and work side by side with them to make sure it's resolved and help them be successful. And I think that as an entrepreneur, that's something that I, I can relate to it. I can relate to you know these advisors that, that are having trouble scaling, having trouble letting go of some of those responsibilities that they hold near and dear. But over time, if you can build that trust, you can build that team, you, you can definitely get there. And you didn't think you were a pit bull with a pork chop. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. Yeah, and, okay, and you so know what, to, to your point, Shannon, right? Like we're, we're in many cases our own, you know, we, we're creating our own limits, right? Yeah. Because yeah. We, don't, we don't see ourselves for some of those characteristics that, that exist that are holding us back. Absolutely. Switching gears a little bit, I'm a junkie to read every strategy book. I think right now I have like seven or eight. I almost am feeling like a hoarder of strategy books at this moment. Um, but you know, every good book on strategy and scaling businesses, building businesses makes one consistent point, which is if you run out of cash, no matter how noble the reason, you lose. Full stop, you lose. And yet often, you know, they're independent advisors. When we talk about capital providers, 
there's almost this like collective knee jerk, distaste, distrust. You've lived the PE journey. RFG were early days, week one of our journey. What do you think are valid concerns and what do you think are the greatest benefits of, of bringing in a capital partner? So for us, we missed out on a large acquisition opportunity because the company that we were trying to acquire did not believe that, that we could get the financing to, to get the deal done. And we recognize that for us to continue to grow and scale our business, not just grow the business organically, but grow it inorganically, we needed a capital partner that would help bolster our balance sheet that had access to additional resources and equity, if you will, to cash to put into the business. So some eight and a half, it'd be nine years ago now, we were working with an investment banker to help us you know, source a private equity backer of our business to help us accomplish that. So we've been at this over eight and a half years now, Shannon. So congratulations, you're a weekend and you're gonna <laughs> love it. And the reason that you're gonna love it is that the private equity firms will help you think differently. They'll add members to your board. I'm, I'm sure they yep. have already that are board members that you may not be able to typically attract on your own. Those board members have seen what works across uh, a whole series of different businesses, different industries. They can bring in outside perspectives. They can help, help you connect dots with other opportunities. And they will help connect you with other CEOs so that you're not doing this job alone, that you, you'll develop some really great friendships with the other CEOs in their, in their portfolio of, of companies. But you know, having that outside capital will absolutely change your business. You can't, you can't go into it and say, well, everything's you know, gonna stay the same, nothing's gonna change, everything's gonna change. But it's gonna change in a really, really good way if you're open to the feedback and receiving the outside ideas and perspectives that I just mentioned. If you have a mindset that it's not gonna work for you, it's absolutely not going to work for you. But if you have a mindset that, you know what, this is an opportunity for me to grow and develop and help support our mission, even beyond where we're at today, you will absolutely accomplish that. I'm so glad you brought up the word mindset because I think that, you know, we talk about that all the time. We're our own worst enemy on this. Like when you think about advisors, independent advisors who aren't growing or they're frustrated by their not by their absence of growth, a lot of times it will be due to their mindset. And when I think about you and mindset, you know, visionary and kindness kind of an equal measure, it's a very powerful combination. And I think a real testimony to your success. How would you define your mindset like that against that backdrop of like bringing in a PE partner eight and a half years ago? Well, my mindset at that time, obviously I've, I've grown a lot, developed a lot as a leader. I'm, I'm grateful that TA Associates was given me the opportunity to grow and develop to the extent that they have, because, you know, in many ways I was undeserving of the opportunity to be CEO and, and lead our organization. But at the same time, you know, they provide me with the additional resources that I need to really grow and develop where I'm at today. I still have a lot, a lot of growth left in me. Having a mindset though, where, where you're looking to continually improve, 
I think is a, a big driver of how successful we'll be in the future. To get there, we have to do things that are uncomfortable. So for instance, with growth, it's uncomfortable to bring in an outside partner to help you uh, have the balance sheet that you need to achieve those next levels of growth. Sometimes it can be uncomfortable to make a move, to leave what you know to be the status quo and go out and be an independent advisor. That can be tough. You know, changing the ways that we've always done things is um, something that creates a lot of maybe discomfort in our lives. But you know what? It also creates a massive amount of opportunities and things will, you know, you, you can create something in the future that today you're having a hard time even imagining. So when I created this business in 1999, I had no idea that we would be in the trillions of dollars of assets that we could support. But you know what? Being an independent fiduciary advisor is the right business model. And so over time, that business model itself, you know, the market itself began to, to get bigger. Outside investments like private equity started coming in. And being willing to, to be a part of that as opposed to trying to fight against change yeah. creates uh, just unbelievable opportunities. Along the way, did you employ any of these like operating systems like Traction or EOS or, you know, Traction's EOS, OKR, yeah. scaling up? Did you all, you know, buy into any of those philosophies and implement those operating systems? Absolutely. So, you know, Gino Wickman's Traction is something that we're, we're big subscribers to. We use an EOS operating system to make sure that our mission, vision, values, behaviors and goals are in alignment. We do 90-day planning. Beyond that, we, we obviously do budget forecasts and things like that for, for an, a longer period of time. But if you haven't read Gino Wickman's book on traction, I'd highly suggest that, that you, you take time to do that, go through it with your team, actually involve them and engage them in you know, that process, it allowed us years ago when we did that to achieve that next level of growth. And it's something that we're continually refining along those lines. You, you, you come out of that process of not only having alignment, but then you also, you're monitoring your, your KPIs, those key performance indicators about your business. And I'm constantly looking for what is the indicator of that KPI so that we can get, you know, right down to the earliest indicator that we can, the core fundamental item that's driving that, that KPI. So, so for us, I'll, I'll use one example real quick. You know, net promoter score. We all want to know how we're doing at creating promoters with the, the clients that we serve. So for us, we, we were getting net promoter score feedback, transactional as well as relational. But beyond that, I just kept looking for what could we be doing to better drive our net promoter scores. And what I realized was that the net promoter score was driven fundamentally by our staff. So our staff's attitudes, our staff's engagement, our staff's ownership, all of those things were going to play into driving the net promoter score of our clients. So every single day we ask our staff, hey, how did your day go today? Is it green, yellow, or red? And then they have an opportunity to provide us comments and feedback. 
That information then immediately goes up to their manager so that we can address those yellow and red days. We can rally additional resources to help them be successful. And if we can keep a majority of those days green, then we're driving a better net promoter score for the advisors that we serve. But I'm always looking beyond alignment to saying, hey, what are those KPIs? And, and fundamentally, what are those items driving those KPIs for our business? Are you guys still collecting that net promoter score daily? Every single day. We, wow. we, we always ask every one of our team members how their day has gone, how they're doing, yeah. and what we what type of feedback they have for us. That's really, I mean, we love a net promoter score. It's, you know, we, we like you take that feedback very much to heart and use yeah. it to guide both our client experience as well as our, our technology deliverable and just the services offered on the platform. And, um, but I hadn't thought to do it on a daily basis because you're right. It's it's absolutely capturing that whole concept of you string together a series of good days means you string together a series of good weeks, good months lead to good years and good years lead to not only company success, but ultimately the what I think is our higher purpose, which is happy, engaged, fulfilled team members. Hundred percent, and those happy, engaged, fulfilled team members, you know, drive that promoter score with our business. And you know, for us, I always tell my team: Look, marketing's job is to create leads. Our sales team creates clients, and our operational teams, our corporate support teams, create promoters. And that's how we all work together. So no matter where you are in the organization, that's how we work together as a team. And that's why that net promoter score is so important because those promoters create leads for our marketing, sales will create clients. And again, every single interaction, we want to be one where we can create promoters. I love that. Leads to clients for promoters because advisors could easily take that and put it into the framework of their businesses, 100%. even if it's you know, two or three advisors and a $150 million shop going to become the next $500 million advisor. Yeah, no, it's so important. And it, and it really gives everybody a clear understanding as to how we work together as a team. You know, when we watch athletics, if it's basketball or football or baseball, you, you understand all the different, you know, things, the characteristics that make a great position player, the contribution that they make to the team. I think it's really important for us as leaders within a business to explain how every role contributes not only to the position, but how it contributes to the business overall. I want to talk about what I call the staring at the ceiling seasons. And as an entrepreneur, I don't think they're moments. Like it, it, we wish that it was just a moment or a night where you, you know, you wake up staring at the ceiling, kind of questioning things and worrying about things. Um, and I think every entrepreneur has this story as a part of their journey. So during your staring at the ceiling seasons, what strategies did you employ in kind of those darkest days where it, you know, you get really real about, can I keep doing this? Can I do the hard thing? Yeah. And you know, we, we all face that. I think 
as leaders, entrepreneurs, advisors, you know, we're, we're constantly looking for, you know, ways that we can grow our business and have balance in our life and have successful relationships in and outside of work. And so all those things are important, but clearly I am not immune to having woken up at two, three in the morning, panicked about something. How are we going to deal with this issue? Whatever it is, you know, for, for me, probably the the best thing to do is just own those issues, be able to talk openly about them, be transparent with our staff and with our clients and say, look, this is, this is the issue that we're facing. We're going to take responsibility for this. This is what we'd like to do to work through this with you. And once you can get that, you know, and face it head on, it, it'll help help you get to that next step which is, you know, beyond agreeing as to what the issue is. Now we can get on to, to solving it and correcting course. For me, you know, I have mentors inside and outside of the business that I rely on that I'll go to and that I can share experiences with. I've been a member of Vistage for, for over a decade and a half. And, and, you know, that has given me a group of other CEOs that I can collaborate with and, and share uh, challenges with and go to for feedback and get their insights as to how they may have solved a very similar type of an issue, you know, previously. It's so important to build that team around you of trusted contacts. So as I mentioned, I did a little research on you and this is back in 2019. So I think it's fun to kind of look back on this. And in an Advisor Hub podcast, you said, Advisors need to focus on continuous enhancements to deliver next level client experience. It's an arms race and expectations aren't getting any easier to accommodate. And what struck me when I read that, I feel like we could have that exact same conversation right now. Like those words ring true, as true, if not more in 2023 as they did in, in 2019. So a little bit of crystal ball. You've been at this for a long time. From your vantage point, what do you think advisors could do better to deliver that next level CX? I'm a big believer in, you know, brand harmony, if you will, your brand's experience being um, expressed all throughout your processes. And that, that would include your, your technology right down to the, the service experience. There's a book written by Steve Yastro called Brand Harmony that I personally I'm a huge fan of. But beyond that, you know, you, you have to make sure that your tech experience is on par with best in class tech experiences in and outside the industry, right? And I think we all have accepted the fact that, you know, look, we need to provide transparency and access through client portals, mobile apps. We need to share documents and information securely. You know, we need to provide information to make great decisions, help the client make great decisions. We need to help protect their assets, you know, with credit monitoring, those types of things. But beyond that, now we're at a point that I think is is evolutionary, if you will, where we can use technology to influence behavior. So you're probably saying, what do you mean use technology to influence behavior? Social media applications use things that trigger our minds to get us addicted to come back to that social media account in Instagram, you know, more often than we would have expected when we opened our accounts. You know, we be, there are triggers, things that get us to, to act. 
Well, so years ago, when we had the opportunity to combine our business with with Brinker, I think one of the the neatest assets that we got in that acquisition was Dr. Daniel Crosby. He's a thought leader in the area of behavioral finance. But what we do is we use Dr. Crosby's skill set and capabilities ingrained in our technology experience to help drive better investor behavior. So, you know, we we think of things like, you know, social media apps and, and the way that they're addicting us to their technology applications. Well, we can also use behavioral finance to help drive better investor behavior. And so there are things that we can do to segment out investments or balance sheet or resources and display that information in a way that will help someone sleep well at night and drive better behavior. There are things that we can do to help bring the advisor closer to the client through a series of questionnaires that will help the advisor better understand the client and more importantly, help the client feel understood by their advisor. So I think behavioral finance is going to drive what's next in our industry and what's next in our space because we we all know that, you know, in large part, the investment problem has been solved, but the investor problem has not. And engaging in all things BFI will help us solve that investor problem. I mean, I'm like giddy inside because we see the world through that same lens and think we're at one of the most exciting bifurcations in the industry. And those advisors that can really drive that emotional connection and amplify that one-to-one relationship in a hyper-personalized way are going to just see explosive growth in the next, you know, 5, 10, 15, 20 years. Yeah. And I I think it's going to be interesting to see the types of advisors that we have, the types of backgrounds that, that they come from, you know, people like me with accounting and finance degrees, you know, we, we may not be the type of advisor that is really connecting with that client in the future. It may be around more of those soft skills that are really the value adds that are driving, you know, the value proposition in the future. It would be, um, you know, and it's something that we can all really, I think, spend time thinking about and committing to because that is ultimately, you know, circling back to what you said at the beginning, that would ultimately translate into greater diversity in our industry because a lot of the absence of diversity is because we have over the, you know, I'd call it the, the first 30 years of the wealth management industry have attracted that accounting and finance oriented. And if you, there is actually the only indicator of high performing teams, it's not you know, where you went to school. It's not how many years of experience. It's not male. It's not female. It's not age. It is how diverse is your team. So there's something, you know, you might be cooking up your next uh, retirement venture. <laughs> I don't know about that, but I, I am a big uh, proponent of having diverse ideas, diverse backgrounds, diverse mindsets help us, you know, with, with being successful in, in our businesses. I, I would back that, that survey, you know, the, the, that statistic that you mentioned, I, I think it is the, the, the biggest characteristic as far as determining our success. We've touched a lot on 
your habits and, you know, what you've done to kind of keep going. And I always remind our team, I call it, we're running a sprint marathon because ultimately you're in this for the long haul, but you're asking your team to, you know, walk in the door every day and be involved in a sprint marathon. And it's thrilling, but it's really hard work. And you've run, I mean, I've, you know, I've known you now for, you know, I guess a little over seven years, you've run Orion for two decades at what feels like to me in talking with a lot of your clients and your team members and you and just the, what the industry at warp speed, warp speed for decades. And that demands focus and endurance and alignment. You're also an avid long distance runner. I've seen you at conferences like early in the morning, like you're usually coming in after like logging 10 miles and I'm like wiping, yeah, walking out the door, getting ready to lace up and go for three. So what other habits would you like personal habits would you credit for your success? Well, you know, ultimately I, I think success has been driven based on the relationships, you know, the friendships that have been able to be created inside of this business and truly loving every aspect of it. So instead of looking at it as work, you know, I've always looked at this as an opportunity to create opportunity to create friendships, opportunity to create value, opportunity to create something that doesn't exist, opportunity to create scale for our advisors delivering advice to more and more people. And really it's been, you know, the opportunity of, of a lifetime. Clearly, I think we all are, are passionate about our businesses, but we also have to be passionate about, you know, finding balance. And then we, I think, should all be passionate about giving back as well. And we can give back in a variety of ways. But, you know, for me, I've had the opportunity over the past 13 years to be a part of the Teammates Organization, which is a a mentor, schools-based mentor organization. It's something that, you know, I've served on the board of teammates here in our local school district for eight years. And finding ways you can give back and really actually make a difference, I think, you know, is one of the most important things that we all have to have to achieve balance in life, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. It has to mean more. All right, we're going to wrap up. I love quotes. So I have to end with what is your favorite quote and why? Well, I, I love to hike. I love to, to run, getting outside. And uh, for me, oftentimes I, I'm reminded and think of the quote by John Muir that in every walk in nature, one receives far more than he seeks. And I think that that's true with our businesses as well. You know, as we observe these opportunities that we've all been given, oftentimes we receive, you know, a lot more than we seek. And for me, as I've been able to to help others and focus on helping the advisors that we serve, you know, I've certainly received way more than, than what I had initially set out to to accomplish. So Shannon, I, I sincerely want to thank you and your team for all of your feedback over the years. We wouldn't be where we're at today without you. So, so thank you. Thanks to your advisors and your, your home office team, because it's been an awesome, awesome partnership. And for us, we've gotten way more out of this relationship than, than what we've been able to offer to you. So, so thank you. Thank you, Eric. This has been such such a treat. I appreciate all your time. And that was just a, um, a really beautiful quote to end on. 
Thank you for listening to the Disruption Blueprint Podcast. Click the follow button to be notified when new episodes become available. Visit our website at www.rfgadvisory.com or schedule a call on our advisor resources page. And don't forget to click the follow button to be notified when new episodes become available. Content here is for illustrative purposes and general information only. It is not legal, tax, or individualized financial advice, nor is it a recommendation to buy, sell, or hold any specific security or engage in any specific training strategy. Information here may be provided in part by third-party sources. These sources are generally deemed to be reliable. However, neither our guests nor RFG advisory guarantee the accuracy of third-party sources. The views expressed here are those of our guest. They do not necessarily represent those of RFG advisory, its employees, or its clients. This commentary should not be regarded as a description of advisory services provided by RFG advisory or performance returns of any client. The views reflected in the commentary are subject to change at any time without notice. Securities offered by registered representatives of private client services, member FINRA SIPC. Advisory services offered by investment advisory representatives of RFG Advisory, a registered investment advisor. Private client services and RFG Advisory are unaffiliated entities. Advisory services are only offered to clients or prospective clients where RFG Advisory and its representatives are properly licensed or exempt from licensure. No advisory services may be rendered by RFG Advisory unless a client agreement is in place. RFG Advisory is an SEC-registered investment advisor. SEC registration does not constitute an endorsement of RFG by the Commission, nor does it indicate that RFG or any associated investment advisory representative has attained a particular level of skill or ability.